As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Spin Rate, presented by Tops. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. What is up? Welcome back to Spin Rate, your Toronto Blue Jays podcast here on the Athletic Network. My name is Drew Fairservice, and yes, we're going to talk about your Toronto Blue Jays. We're recording this here on uh, Sunday evening. Today is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and grandmothers and would-be mothers and former mothers and everybody. I hope everybody had a great day. Baseball did their eyewash, pink eyewash thing where they uh, rightly raised lots of money for the Pink Ribbon um, campaign for breast cancer uh, uh, research. But, of course, baseball's actual track record when it comes to pink things is not quite as strong as we sit here and speak. Uh, still no word on uh, Mickey Calloway and what is to become of him. Um Today, you ordinarily, me here on the Sunday show with my co-host, Caitlin McGrath, who is, of course, the Blue Jays writer for TheAthletic.com. Uh, Caitlin is off this weekend. So she's been busy writing about the myriad transactions that the Toronto Blue Jays are making as one player after another is added to the, the injured list. I would recommend, if you haven't already, you go to TheAthletic.com slash spin rate and you subscribe. And then you can read everything that Caitlin writes. And you can read everything that everyone writes about baseball, about the footy, about the Raptors, whose season is, I believe, either over or winding down. Uh, hockey still inexplicably going on. Uh, all of those exciting sports. And the boring ones, too. Go to theathletic.com slash spin rate to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed to the pod, I think you should do that. Wherever it is you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and the list goes on. Wherever you catch a pod, sign up for SpinRate. Hit us with the review. Hit us with the like. But because Caitlin is off this weekend, it is my pleasure at this time to be joined by my friend. You read him on the score for many, many years. He is the former host of the Expand the Zone podcast. Uh, and, I, and not only is he all of those things, those are his pro- professional credentials, he is also one half of the battery in probably in all of Toronto men's baseball league history that has uh, the most Twitter followers. Uh, 
Mr. Jonah Bierenbaum. Jonah, thank you for taking the time and, and subbing in here on a Sunday. My pleasure, pal. I'm, I'm but a poor substitute for, for Caitlin McGrath, the, the, the incomparably erudite Caitlin McGrath, but I'll do my best. Caitlin uh, does good work. We're glad that she's taking some time to rest and recharge because the transactions, they just keep coming at us. Just like you and I were involved in a transaction. As I said, battery, we were traded from the Sox to the Dodgers where we won a title. Toronto men's baseball league title. Of course, we won because I wasn't there. I did not. I was not there at the championship game. But Jonah, who is, did you pitch in the in the final game? I believe I did. Yeah, I think I think I was first out of the pen. First out of the pen. So Tyson, you, and then Miguel in the end. That's right. And you do you caught Miguel at the end, didn't you? I did. Yeah. So that's Jonah's the emergency catcher when I'm not around. That's uh, that's the kind of that's the kind of that's how we roll. Versatility. You know? Versatility. So Jonah, if you don't know, has a has a has a three pitch mix uh, that is a one two and a half pitch mix. <laughs> That's very and he, generous. And he insists on the changeup, and every so often he throws and gets himself into trouble. Today on Sunday, I think the number one thing that we'll talk about, of course, the, right now for the Blue Jays, uh, not the Toronto Men's Baseball League Dodgers. Blessed as they are, and excited as we are, may, may or may not be to get back as we continue to get vaccinated, first and second doses. Um, and if you haven't already, I don't, it almost does. Well, I guess if you live in Toronto, you live in Peel, you live in Durham, you live in New York, there's lots of opportunity for you to get go out and get your shot. So if you haven't, I can't encourage you enough to do it. Uh, if it's in a mass clinic, if it's at the, at the, what are they called, the drugstore, lots of spots. Go get the shot when you can. And if you have questions, if you have questions about, about it, you can even reach out to me. I'm not going to answer them, but I can get, point you in the right direction of some folks who can. But uh, because it's always fair to have questions. There's lots of people who have lots of questions for lots of valid reasons, but the answers are all out there. And I, I'd be more than happy to help you find the right information if you're looking for it. Looking for it was exactly what Nate Pearson was doing on the Hill today because he looked like garbage. Nate Pearson, uh, I made a show Nate uh, uh, Piertani joke because it looked like most, Nate, most Shohei Otani starts where he walked the ballpark. Nate, Nate Pearson start, walked five Astros today in what eventually was a seven to four defeat at the hand uh, hands of the of the dreaded Houston Astros, but it, it was really there was excitement. Nate Pearson was kind of pressed into duty um, for you know again because one injury after another they needed to make a move. Rafael Dolis had to go to the uh, the injured list. Pearson was the next guy up. He looked good in his first AAA start after you know obviously missing a ton of time um, in the spring, but man he just. Had no clue where his fastball was going today, and it was an absolute. It was a shit show, frankly. Yeah, and and it continued this disconcerting pattern that I guess started last year of him not being able to perform at the major league level. And obviously, it's the tiniest of samples. He's pitched in like a half dozen games, but it's odd and bewildering, frankly, how a consensus top two or three pitching prospect in the game, a guy who absolutely dominates in the minor leagues comes up to the big leagues and loses it completely. It's not, it's not a quaint command issue that he has. It's that he has no idea where the baseball is going. And after his major league debut last year against Washington, that was the case for every subsequent start he made in 2020 until he went on the injured list ultimately for an extended period. And that's what we saw today, even though in his preceding start, which came uh, on Tuesday for Triple A Buffalo or Trenton, he was nails. He only threw two, three and two thirds, but he struck out eight and he only walked one. And then fast forward to Sunday in Houston, and he has no clue where the baseball is going. He generated one whiff. And this is what we've seen in his very, very brief major league career, which is that there is a 
complete Jekyll and Hyde act with Nate Pearson, where he is so, so good and earns all the plaudits and absolutely shoves against minor league competition, comes up to Toronto and just doesn't look like an elite pitching prospect. It's mystifying, frankly. It's brutal. It's it's bad, and it's bad for a variety of different reasons. He he, you know, there were there were some times where maybe you would accuse him of nibbling, right? Where there, that's been sort of the the knock where he was trying to be too fine. That was what uh, you know Pat Tabler and, and Dan Schulman on the broadcast kind of you know Tabler in particular kept hitting on repeatedly. Like he doesn't need to be so fine. He doesn't need to throw try to throw it to the corners. His stuff is great. He trust his stuff. All that sort of like patter like 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 the 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 stuff we expect them to say when there's a guy up there who has no idea where the baseball was going because that's what that was the case today it wasn't there were there was there were a few you know just misses you know he's maybe maybe in those cases he was trying to be so fa- too fine going for the the kind of bottom corner on the outside half of the plate against a right-handed batter misses a couple inches outside but for every one of those there was one that was not even close like completely yanked into the opposite batter's box. You know, he wasn't able to throw any of his pitches for strikes. I think he threw one change up the entire time. His cur- He was throwing his curve or a slider, whatever. And, uh, you know, just not well located at all. And you can see some of his post-game comments. He's talking about it's me versus me. And, it's, you know, I just got to see the mitt and hit the mitt and stuff. Like, this is that's the issue, I think, and and I'm I'm I I'm loath to play you know armchair psychologist. I'm I don't want to say it's in his head, but I there's no other realistic explanation that one could offer as to why he just had, not even command but control with any of his pitches. Yeah, the, the the disparity between the minor league performance and what we've seen thus far at the major league level really does speak to some psychological thing that's going on and and preventing him from not only dominating, but from simply being serviceable because it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And if he was pitching like this in the minor leagues, he would not have close to the numbers that he's put up in his admittedly brief minor league career. And he wouldn't be as widely lauded as he is, but he just shows up and doesn't show up. It's like a completely different pitcher arrives when he slips on that Blue Jays uniform. I'm glad you brought that up because there was a guy that I was kind of going back and forth with a bit on Twitter, a guy that I've known on, I've met known online for a long, long time. Smart guy, like not, you know, he's got his, some takes, but he was like, this is who he's always been. He only, he could get away with it in the minor leagues. And, and no, no, I like, like, no, I, I don't think that that's true. Not without the ability to throw anything close to be behind all the time. You know, he he, he referenced, there was uh, somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, might have been the, what's his name, he used to be uh, Fangraphs, and then he, he, you know, he's been back and forth, kind of worked for the Braves, and then he went back to Fangraphs, the prospect guy. McDaniel? Yeah, might have been Riley McDaniel. He's R- Riley McDaniel, right? Kylie. Kylie, Kylie, excuse me. He said, oh, yeah, he had, he had some questions about his fastball command. But, like, this wasn't command at all. There was nothing about command. This wasn't... You know, there was there was one, so, and this is what I'm, I'm going to go somewhere from this. There was one fastball he left right in the middle of the plate, and I think it was Yuli Gurriel threw swung right, swung right through it, and then Pearson was like kind of like like miffy about it, and Tabler kind of caught it, like oh he wasn't happy with that last pitch, which I think speaks to a bigger thing. But like you tell me, I, I don't think if if this was who he was in AAA, a he would walk more than one, 
right? He, he couldn't help. He couldn't throw strikes for trying today. And it doesn't matter if who's who's up there. You know, they're, these are professional hitters. It's not like we're talking about a, a kid that was, you know, like Dylan Bundy dominating, striking out 200 batters in 40 innings in high school. Which is not possible, and then and then, and then coming coming to the big leagues and and not being able to get throw strikes because in the high in high school he was striking out you and I, and we're swinging as soon as as soon as his front foot hits you know goes down. These are professional hitters. They're not going to swing it just shit that's thrown to the backstop, right? That's that, that's crazy. Completely. I mean, this is triple A that we're talking about. You're one level away from the big leagues. A lot of the guys that he's pitching against have played in the big leagues. They have big league service time. Uh, they're not going to strike out eight times in three and two thirds innings when he's only recording, you know, 11 outs. They're not going to strike out eight times if he's consistently three and oh on every guy, two and oh on every guy, missing with non competitive misses. Like that just doesn't happen at such an advanced level of the minor leagues. So I, I'm led to believe that he just, completely loses it or in, you know, it's a small sample, but on Sunday certainly just lost whatever he had in his triple a debut on Tuesday. He lost it against the Astros. We'll be right back with more spin rate, but first check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm not making any kind of uh, diagnosis, but to me, that one pitch sort of set in some ways kind of, it got my antenna up when Tat, when he, again, so that was a meatball that he threw, but he got away with it because it's 98, 96. Yeah. Whatever. Or whatever it was. But to me, that's like the, maybe, maybe that's the thing where it's like, okay, you made a mistake, but you got by flush it. And get ready for the next pitch. Which again, this is this is this whole mentality of pitching and the way that pitchers have to commit to every single pitch. You know, that's the difference between them and you know you or I or whatever. We're standing in the mound being like, man, I wish I hadn't had that you know ninth beer last night. I probably wouldn't feel like I was going to puke on the rubber right now. But like, you know, that ability to commit to that pitch and flush every single one that's come before is the difference. And the, and the thing that 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 I saw a that I saw after that, that again, number one, you know, I got a, I got a, a, a message DM from somebody being like, what the hell is going on? And, and not wanting to overreact. They were like, Manoa is better than this right now. Right. But, and then as I was messaging back and forth with, with this person, you, you see Pearson on the mound, like talking to himself. So number one, he has like a little mini, like, because he, he made a mistake. Then, then he's just talking to himself. And then you see him in the, in the dugout in between innings. So he gets out of the inning. 
right? Again, nobody, hardly anybody hit the ball hard. It was all kinds of, you know, uh, lazy fly balls and whatever. Gets in the dugout. In my mind, if I'm, if I'm putting myself in his place, flush it. You got out of the inning. You know, your pitch counts running. You're maybe, but go out. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pitch well in the third. If I, if I go four today, that's a victory for me. All I got to do, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get three outs in the third inning. They show him in the, in the dugout, pacing. Pacing, stomping up and down the dugout. And then they show him again. <laughs> and he's like, he looked like he was, he was, he was got his hands on the, on the rail, you know, the, the railing, the protective um, fencing that sits in front of the dugout. He's got his hands on it. He's hanging his head. His head's yeah. in the, his head's in the screen. He's just looking like he was wanted to die. And I'm just like, man, that's that, to me again. I'm 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 playing armchair psychologist. That's a rough look for a big he, leaguer who's not allowed who is allowed one earned run at that point. It's because he doesn't recognize himself. Like the, the version of Nate Pearson that showed up on Sunday and that has showed up thus far in the big leagues does not resemble the Nate Pearson that has so thoroughly dominated the minor leagues. And that's a scary feeling because at every other stop, he has been the best pitcher on the roster. He's been the best pitcher on the field the days that he starts. And he is absolutely overpowering. It's never a struggle for him. And then he comes to the big leagues and it's not only a struggle to find success. It's a struggle to just trust the process and to compete He's not even competing when he's out there. And that's got to be a scary feeling for him. And, you know, I, I don't blame him for, for demonstrating that kind of uh, sketchy body language because that's that's got to be really uncomfortable for him. I feel like um, uh, there was a lot was made of his makeup in, in a good way. A lot of people talked to they, he, they remind him of Halliday and he thinks that he can be the best pitcher in, in the league. And 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 there he he and they are not wrong again to quote the great Alec Manoa the stuff plays man like mm. when it's there they can't get they can't get close to it and, and I think I don't know if it was that start against Washington that he was great or might have been the preseason like kind of quasi spring training start against the Red Sox where he had that changeup going like nuts he's he's ridiculously talented his stuff is ridiculous but I guess the question well, what do you think. I'll ask you was, what do you think? What's next? If you're the Blue Jays and or Nate Pearson, what's what's next? I, I mean, I think they have to start him on Saturday against the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, first of all, consider that the alternative is starting Anthony Kay. And I do not think that that is a sound strategy for a team that is trying to compete uh, in one ball games right now. But second of all, I, I just think that it'd be too devastating for him psychologically to get sent down after that. And the fact of the matter is, I am still tantalized by the prospect of the Blue Jays starting Nate Pearson. There's no reason to me that he shouldn't be able to, in his next start, be the Nate Pearson that we were promised. Having said that, all week leading up to his start, I'll be wondering, are we going to get this enigmatic guy who just looks plainly bad? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, I still haven't seen something that leads me to believe that I don't want Nate Pearson on the mound. It's just been troubling what we've seen thus far i'll go one i don't know if i'll if one step further is is how i would describe it but i will say that i want nate pearson to kind of go out and get his brains beat in a little bit if mm. that's what it's going to take if it, if it if it's either getting beat up like i'd like to see him get hit hard which I, uh in, again i referenced that that start against uh, boston at fenway in the you know last summer before the season really started where he got hit hard by like three batters in a row and then he sort of figured it out and and went off on his way 
And that to me was really instructive and that was really encouraging because it's important to get hit. But today it seemed like he was more afraid to get hit than he was, uh, you know, afraid to, to, to challenge and to, and to really just, just, you know, again, I'm not, no one's suggesting that he just go up there and just lay it down the middle of the plate and, and, and hope to, to, which, and which I think is something we've seen him do before. When he starts to lose the strike zone a little bit, then you see him in that one start in particular, just start to kind of, aim like 94 down the middle instead of just letting it eat a little bit more so i i want to see him just continue like i don't think there's anything for him to learn at triple a the learning is this right the learning is going out and and figuring out how what he needs to do where he needs to get his own himself in terms of his preparation or his in-game adaptations or whatever he needs to figure out how he can get himself there to 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 work with all the professionals around him and just be who he can be Yeah. I mean, the thing that's a little bit concerning to me is that I don't know that he was consciously not being aggressive in the zone today. Okay. Maybe with Michael Brantley, second about of the game, you know, he's missing low by a couple inches because he's really trying to scrape the bottom of the zone against a good left-hand hitter. Fine. Maybe that's the case. But I think sort of from that point onward, I don't think he's consciously nibbling. I just think he has no idea where the ball is going when it leaves his hand. I don't think that he's like trying to pick corners with 98. Because mm-hmm. you got to believe that he has enough confidence in his stuff. So, well, like, that's that's what's troubling to me. It's like, I think he's trying to be aggressive in the zone, especially with guys like Martin Maldonado or whatever scrub was playing for Carlos Correa today. But he's just not even close with his misses. I think uh, Ricky Romero, obviously former Blue Jays starter, former, uh, you know, uh, who has a podcast of his own. He on Twitter made some, I made a comment about it seemed like uh, Nate Pearson was maybe rushing in terms of coming down the, coming down the mound, maybe pulling off a little bit, shoulder flying open, you know, leaving him kind of exposed, release point all over the place. I'm not qualified. I'm less qualified. I'm equally, actually, let's, I'm more qualified to make a, a comment about that than I am about Nate Pearson's psychology. Mm. But, uh, if that's something that Ricky Romero is seeing, if that that could be something else that someone uh, other people are seeing, especially for a guy who was trying to make some mechanical tweaks in the minors and and really trying to make them stick. So if that if that's it, if if it's just a matter of of allowing the pulse to come down a little bit, so you can stay within your mechanics and stay and figure out how to be who you who you are. Um, I, I think that that can only happen in the big leagues. That can only happen from having, you know, quality conversations, from the quality of, of instruction and, 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 and connection that he can make with, you know, Matt Bushman, with Pete Walker, with whoever. Whoever it is they need to bring in to get, just sit him down and talk with him. If it's another hitter, if it's God only knows, there's lots of there's. It could be anybody. Man, but the Blue just, Jays got to get him a copy of that Harvey Dorfman book that uh, was so pivotal to Roy Halladay's transformation. Um, of of all the people, it would be nice. Not for Nate Pearson. It would be great if Roy Halladay was still alive because that's yeah. fucked up still that he died. But that would be a great conversation for them to be able to sit down and talk. So. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big question mark, but I think that, I think we'll see him on the mound again. They, they, I cannot imagine given, especially given where they are, the Blue Jays are in terms of what, what the, the, the state of their pitching and, and what they need him to be. Um, there's no time like the present to, to get to work on that, uh, uh, that development that cannot, I don't think cannot happen at the, at the minor leagues. The only thing that's going to happen at the minor leagues is going to get bored. And getting more in his own head, be like, why it's so easy down here? Why can't I do it when there's a third deck on the stadium? 
we'll see. There's there's no more development to be done when you can just overpower guys with with one pitch and don't have to work on on anything because you're just that much better. But yeah, absolutely. Throw that change up to that outside corner against lefties, and you'll be good, Nate Pearson. That's me, pitching coach Drew. I'm making the you would, circle. You change. would never call for a change up from me, for the record. Well, because it just kind of sat there. I called for one, and then I had to ask the umpire for another ball because because it, it went over the goddamn fence. Go get it out of the ocean. <laughs> Go get it out of the ocean. Uh, you mentioned Anthony Kay, who is a bit of um, yeah. so Anthony Kay is easy to dump on. Uh, his numbers aren't great. Uh, a lot of Blue Jays fans. So I saw some people, uh, you know, the kind of people that Wilner finds and find Wilner complaining about him not being a prospect and why aren't people mad at Anthony Kay when as mad as mad as they are at Nate Pearson it's an apples to oranges right and I wouldn't say Anthony Kay was a throw-in but Anthony Kay was not the not the centerpiece of the Marcus Stroman trade that was obviously Simeon Woods Richardson uh Anthony Kay has I think a lot to offer I don't think that Anthony Kay is going to be an ace which is the difference between he and Nate Pearson uh, Anthony Kay was throwing 97 today so you know I know you you don't that no one a fool would say would turn up their nose at that. Um, his breaking stuff is not great, but I think that the Blue Jays are maybe not haven't done it. well. Two things: they've put. I don't think they've put him in a position to succeed very often. But also, I think that might be telling in terms of what they think Anthony K. Cannon will be. So you don't think highly of Anthony K. as a pitcher at all. So. Do you think this is just they're just throwing him to the wolves because that's what he is? Well, I, I think don't that's back a off. Bit. Don't back no, off. I no, got, no, I got the receipts. <laughs> that, that <laughs> you wouldn't dare. I wouldn't. Um, I do think that that's something of an overstatement, and that those texts lack nuance because uh, they're they can be a little bit emotional. Uh, look, a, a left-hander who throws ninety-seven and has a deep mix uh, there there is probably going to be some value there. What I don't think is that Anthony K is a major league starter. I think that the secondary stuff is too lacking. And I think that the fastball command, I think the command profile overall is disastrous. And between the not really having an out pitch and the inability to hit spots, that's a really, really tough recipe to to turn into a starting pitcher. And I think that the Blue Jays would be best served to maybe abandon that and just let him air it out like Ryan Barucki coming in and one or two inning stints, you know, maybe abandon one of those breaking balls and just become a two pitch guy and, and lean in to that. Uh, Cause you know, what we saw today was, was a great example of sort of where Anthony K is. Every batter goes to three, two and he can't put him away. You know, he's trying to like spin a breaking ball three, two, it hangs up. Jordan Alvarez absolutely torches it, you know, three, two against, anyone else. And he's like missing with the fastball. He got a gift call uh, on the called strikeout uh, of Alex Bregman. Uh, He just, you know, that there's, there's something there, but just because a guy's not a major league starter doesn't mean that he's completely valueless. So my thing is that they're trying to do, again, they're not putting him necessarily in a position to succeed. So the blue Jays today in, it was in the fourth inning after, um, after Nate Pearson uh, was yanked, they went to Joel Piamps um, as a more of a reliever, somebody who can get hot a little bit more quickly. Came in, got a couple quick outs to end the third, and then they and then Piamps comes back out to start the fourth. Piamps gives up a home run, and then he gets a ground out. Then he gets a, then he gets a strikeout. So now there's two outs, and you've got Jordan Alvarez at the plate, and they go to K. And this is when I was like, 
just in my, for me, let Piamps face Alvarez, right? Like, are you worried that Piamps is out of gas? You got an off day tomorrow. Let him, let, see if, if, if it gets out of hand, then you go to K. But K isn't, to me, he's not the guy you, you, you bring in at the end, in the middle of an inning. Let him start a clean inning. Let him get in there. Don't let him face the best hitter on the other team. Jordan Alvarez, for the record, is a freak of nature who in 500 plate appearances has like a one in his career, has a 180 weighted runs graded plus. Like he's insane. So maybe if if you're trying to ease him in, you maybe don't want to use him as a bulk guy in, the, in, in a situation like this or moving forward because God only knows what you're going to get from Nate Pearson. Uh, maybe this is, a, this is a bit of a safety net with have these two kind of in lockstep together. But... I think that that was something that I personally wouldn't have done because that inning, right, you, to your point, you know, which is inarguable, uh, Alvarez gets a hit because he let, that's what he does. And then I think he walked the next guy. Uh, yeah, he walked Guriel, and then Kyle Tucker hits a home run. And then a at that 3-0 point, heater. A 3-0 fastball that, that Kyle Tucker, who was having a dog shit year, hit a mile. That's that's all you know. That all happened, right? Anthony K did all those things, uh, but again, my in my mind because I'm I'm looking for a reason to to say because then you look at the rest of this the, the the rest of the outing, which you know hardly dominant, hardly sparkling, but he was fine, right? That was the end of it. Yeah. I mean, be, other but, than the assassination, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? But well, that's not that's not inaccurate, <laughs> but I think that that he's. Functional, if used in the right in the right role, is is my hope. Again, I look, I get stars in my eyes. I see a guy who's left-handed, who's throwing ninety-seven, who is first time or first time out this year, kind of got dinked and dunked, bad defense. Then he has another his last outing, same sort of thing, just three clusters or like a bad six, eight, nine minutes, and then the whole uh, the whole thing is undone. Um, when he, I guess that was in Oakland when he pitched, and then this time that you know they let him. He once he ran out of hard good hitters to face, he was fine. But I think that he could be better suited and maybe given a bit of a more of a of a of a more runway to get into a good start. That said, the Blue Jays are telling us in a lot of ways what they think of Anthony Kay, and I think it's not different from what you said. Yeah, very much so. And I also think to your point, if you need to sort of manipulate the situation or, you know, wait for a certain leverage index for him to be brought into the game and you're comfortable with that decision, what does that say to you about Anthony K? Like that's not a, a endorsement of Anthony K that he needs it a works clean the, inning. But that's what the Rays do all day long, right? And they and they win 90 games every year. Like again, why do you think Ryan Yarbrough's numbers look the way that they do? Because they ease him in. They take advantage of when he's in the they put him. God, this is son of a bitch. Last week I'm praising the Royals. Then and now this here I am being like, give the Rays credit. This show has gone to hell. But who are you? They win ball games and they get the most out of guys like that by putting them into a position to succeed. What I will say about Ryan Yarbrough is that he throws strikes for his career. His walks per nine is like <laughs> okay, two point one. We're, I'm Anthony not K. saying that Anthony K is Ryan Yarbrough, but, but I'm saying there are, there are elements there that make it clear why they the Rays trust him and why he's been as effective as he has been. 
But with he gets Anthony face K, the ball, he gets the face of the Robel Garcia, the Garcias of the world. But Anthony Martin K Maldonado. is still walking the Robel Garcias of the world, and then he gets to face a good hitter who tees off on a three-one heater. Actually, he struck him out. He struck out. <laughs> Alex Bregman. Yeah. He struck out Robel Garcia, Robel Garcia, <laughs> and then he got lit up by Jordan Alvarez again, and then he got a couple ground outs. And I will Job say, done. coming back. Coming Job back done. to the decision to uh, call on K when they did, I just thought that Charlie believed that the deficit could not get any bigger if they hoped to win the game, and that allowing Joel Piamps to face Jordan Alvarez was a recipe for a home run. Letting anybody face Jordan Alvarez is a recipe for a home run. It's not fair. He's good as hell. Uh, let's no more bummer talk. Talk. Let's talk about something that's good and, ex- and, and encouraging. Um, if I asked you... Who was the Blue Jays team leader in home runs? Would you have the answer? I think it's a tie between Bo Bichette and Marcus Semyon. I think you might be right. But one of those names is not like the other. In that Marcus Simeon. One of them's a shortstop. Hi-oh! Boom. And neither of them are Vladimir Guerrero Jr. not leading the team in home runs. I don't think your boy's gone deep since that three-homer game against the Nationals, by the way. He has two extra base hits in May, but we're not here to talk about that right <laughs> sorry, now. Sorry, no more bummer talk. I'm sorry. We've had enough bummer talk. What we're going to do is talk about Marcus Simeon playing great. Marcus Simeon got off to a dreadful start. He was at the top of the lineup, felt a little bit miscast up there, wasn't really doing a lot. Uh, and now, you know, lo and behold, you look at his numbers and he's having a great season. He's offensively having a better season. Then Bobichet, as an example, just again, not to not to I'm not comparing them, but their their output at this point uh, is quite similar. Um, Marcus Simeon has drawn a few more walks. Uh, but again, he had two hits today. He's up to a, uh, a 125 where he runs created plus, which is to say that he's 25 percent. Uh, 25% above league average. Uh, it's in it's May, and you know three weeks ago this was not the case. But he looks great, hitting the ball hard, playing great defense at second base, running the bases. He leads the team in stolen bases and hitting the ball over the fence. Uh, this is what the Blue Jays paid for. This is what they signed up for. And uh, maybe it was well, it started before the trip to Oakland, but uh, hopefully the, that trip to o- Oakland, a little bit of home cooking, is uh, exactly what he needed because uh, he's uh, he looks he looks like a guy worth eighteen and a half million dollars a year right now. Oh, very much so. I mean, it looked like he was starting to lock in in that series against Atlanta that the Blue Jays swept and then returning uh, to Oakland was absolutely the the cure for, I guess, what ailed him. Because early on, he was sort of swinging and missing a lot in the zone, uh, not making a ton of quality contact and also expanding more than I thought he would. And I, too, felt that he was terribly miscast as a leadoff guy. And it wasn't really consistent with his career numbers. But since then, uh, he's looked great. Uh, way more locked in, driving the ball way more consistently, uh, spraying the ball more regularly. Uh, it certainly helps that the Crawford boxes are a bit of a joke, uh, <laughs> and he just managed to flick one out there uh, on Saturday to uh, to nudge the Blue Jays to victory. But uh, uh, that notwithstanding, uh, his plate appearances have been way more competitive. He's not behind in the count as much uh, as he was in the early going. And absolutely, he's been their steadiest infield defender, um, you know, with, with honorable mention to Vlad at first base. Uh, but yeah, he, he has been, uh, frankly, uh, at the rate he's playing, uh, a bargain at 18 million because he's on pace for something like a five-war season or something. Uh, and even though it got off to something of an inauspicious start, 
uh, you know, the numbers are absolutely there. And even when he, you know, wasn't hitting in the early going, he was still running into one uh, every now and then. And mm -hmm. uh, you, you can't give uh, the Blue Jays enough credit for, for that pickup. No, and obviously full credit to him for kind of staying within himself. Uh, I don't think anybody's expecting him to to have the same kind of season as he did in 2019 when he was, you know, an MVP candidate, basically like an eight-wing guy. Uh, but right now he looks great. Again, he's he's he is his walk rate is strong, you know, above average. Uh, what you know, in, consistent with the last few years, strikeout rate a little bit a little bit higher, um, which again I think could be owed to to some of the stuff that you were saying in terms of him uh, missing in the zone, uh, missing pitches in the zone, and and not exactly looking um, you know looking a hundred percent comfortable. But but it's a, it's a, it's it's great to have a a player who has also you know stepped, moved across the diamond a few times, played a little bit of short. Um, especially when when Nate Pierce, or excuse me, Nate Pierce, when Bobby Shett was in need was in need of a bit of a of a uh, of a of a break after having a couple of rough games defensively. Uh, you can't say enough. Uh, I don't think that anyone. I mean, it's. I don't think it's unrealistic to think that between somewhere between here and like a little bit worse is not unfair to to say that this is this is who he can be. He is a good hitter, and and while you know everyone's allowed to have a career year, and he did just that in in 2019. Um, to 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 come even eighty percent of that, I think everybody's going to be pretty happy. Oh, everyone would be thrilled. I mean, look, he was like an eight win player in twenty nineteen. It was absolutely outrageous. Uh, if he, you know, he even approached that, I think that everyone would be thrilled. But you know, ultimately, he's a high floor guy. You know, like he is probably at worst going to be a league average hitter uh, mm -hmm. while providing steady defense and contributing on the base paths. Uh, you know, he's an all around. Uh, producer. And I think that the Blue Jays very much valued a guy uh, who is high floor and reliable, given how much sort of high variance there is uh, throughout the entire roster, both uh, in terms of position players and in their staff. So I think that they really valued that reliability and also baked into their one-year calculation, the fact that there's also quite a bit of upside. And right now, you know, if he sort of continues to perform at the rate that he has for the rest of the season, like what are they getting in terms of value? Like you know, four times what they paid him. It's, it's outrageous. He's, he's been, uh, he's been a real boon for the Blue Jays. Uh, he's not alone. I wanted to just take a quick second and uh, a uh, Kevin Biggio had a pretty good series. Obviously he had a great game on Saturday. He had a home run, dropped, drew a couple walks. He's starting to get up threatening uh, league average. Uh, I was really happy with, with uh, a Bo Bichette played appearance here on Sunday against Zach Greinke. Obviously Zach Greinke is, is, is a, is a unique pitch starter in terms of how he doesn't throw very hard and, and he loves to throw. Pat Tyler could not go, could not stop talking about the changeup to in, inside changeup to righties. To, to Vlad. Yeah. Well, and, and he was doing it to everybody, but the, so it was Bobichette's second plate appearance and he went up there and, and I tweeted about this, that he had a plan. He was like, I'm going to stay back and hit the ball the other way. And he was just sat back and sat back and sat back, and everything that was that was thrown, he you could tell that that was his he that was his goal. It wasn't even a plan. It was like this is what I'm going to do. Um, I was a little in some ways. I'm surprised that 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 Granky and Maldonado didn't try to like jam him inside or or come back just because from where I was sitting, it was clearly evident that Bichette was trying to go the other way. There was a there was a cute moment in that at bat where where Granky threw like the 67 mile an hour curveball that. I don't know how or why Bobachet went over there and fished it out and, and knocked it foul and had a, it was all kind of laughing and chuckling and chatting it away with uh, who Martin Maldonado, who I love as a catcher to watch. He's so much fun back there. He's such a good defensive catcher. Not Will a great Glover. hitter. 
Gold Glover, uh, Dead in the Water, a great relay play featuring Kevin Bijou and, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. But um, and then Bijou slashed a or Bichette slashed a, a solid single to right, and it was uh, it was great. And and you know he's not he's never going to be a guy who draws a ton of walks, but he can hit, and 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 that's uh, not a bad thing to have at all. And he, he makes adjustments, right? He he adjusts mid at bat, uh, he adjusts mid game. And the, the approach with two strikes is really impressive too, because, you know, he really makes a conscious effort to shorten up and put the ball in play, hit the ball where it's pitched because the swings that he takes early in counts are absolutely ridiculous. Like this is a guy who loves <laughs> to let it eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, to be honest with you, I'm surprised at how frequently he swings and misses on what I feel are hittable pitches in like OO counts or O one counts. Uh, but anyways, uh, when he got, does get to two strikes, he noticeably tempers the leg kick, uh, the swing, and really focuses on getting the bat on the ball. He, he, he is, uh, you know, uh, in, inclined a little bit to expand the zone. Uh, and like you said, like he, he's an aggressive hitter. He's never going to lead the league in, in walk rate. If he ever gets to double digits in that, I think that'd be tremendous progress for him. Uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's a hitter. He's a hitter and he's hitterish and he knows how to adjust and he understands situations. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's take a. I want to take a quick look ahead. I don't want to take too much more of your time, Jonah, uh, who is who is doing filling in admirably. Thank you again. I'm I'm so happy that you were made this work for for me and for us. What do you think about the lineup coming up? Now they're going to be in National League ballparks, which means they lose the designated hitter. Rowdy Telez lost one uh, out to deep right field today, um, but he's the odd man out, right? Like I don't think at this point, especially with Kevin Biggio looking a little bit more like himself that you, you are the blue Jays are going to run any risks by moving Vlad over to third base, even for a game. No chance. Yeah. It's rowdy who sits and he'll be the first bat off the bench to pinch hit for uh, the pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if, if I had my druthers, I would still move Biggio down. I think, uh, into, well, I mean, it's complicated by the fact that they're, that they're heading to Atlanta, but, you know, moving forward, I think that I would still have him sort of in that 
eight or nine spot as a sort of quote unquote secondary leadoff hitter. I don't like him with his profile in the middle of the lineup, which is where Charlie seems inclined to hit him a little bit, um, you know, in that sixth spot. And, you know, with his contact issues and his profile, I don't really love that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, in, in Atlanta, uh, I think it's definitely going to be Rowdy who's who's the odd man out. And I, I really think that you're not going to see Vlad at third, you know, barring uh, uh, more injuries uh, more than, you know, a couple times this year. I think that if I was making the lineup, I would hit Kevin Biggio lower in the order for two reasons. Um, number one is, well, for the reasons that you laid out um, in terms of his ability to do damage at the plate when there maybe are, are uh, uh, runners on base. Of course, he he jumped on a fastball on Saturday and hit it out, but that's just not who he has been. Um, I think his, the the vast majority of his value, I think, comes from his ability to get on base through walks, and if they shift him, he's got to continue to try to punish them with bunts, which I think is uh, value at the bottom of the order. And when the Blue Jays are playing in a National League ballpark, if, they, if they're going to lose the DH, when given who the shape of their roster right now, because they don't really, because their only other outfielder is Jonathan Davis, I would move Biggio down in the order because if you get wild with it in one of these games and you want to double switch Vlad to third, and then and then if you're say you're hitting, you know, Telez is going to be you know hitting in the pitcher spot and playing first, and the pitcher spot's going to be in in Biggio's spot or whatever. I would consider moving moving him down to seventh or eighth at the at the highest, seventh at the highest, eighth at the lowest, because I think that you have a that little bit of flexibility. Um, and and then again, same thing with with double switches. If it's not him, it could be somebody else, right? If you're double switching, maybe Griel. They've shown a lot of willingness to take Griel out. Um, when it comes to defense, he seems to be the guy that, that kind of gets gets to um, lose his job a little bit. Um, so I think that 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 there's value in that. The other thing I was go- this is sort of tangentially related, and it comes back to that Anthony K thing, which is I'm a little bit maybe I shouldn't be surprised for the Blue Jays front office the way they like to think, the way that they that they um, are using all the available information that's that's at their fingertips. And it comes back to that choice, the, the idea of bringing in K to face Alvarez just for the platoon advantage. Jordan Alvarez destroys left-handed pitching. He destroys right-handed pitching. He's marginally worse in a, mar- in a very small sample. But to me, again, to that, in that instance, it's not worth the, the platoon advantage to put K in that position. And then when it comes to Kevin Biggio, for example, today, and I texted this to you today about... Kevin Biggio against Zach Greinke is a nightmare matchup for for uh, for Biggio because unless he wants to, Greinke's never going to walk a guy like Kevin Biggio. He has too much trash that he can throw and keep him off balance. So to me, that the recognizing that this is a tough matchup for him, just like it is if he's a good lefty, I would think in that situation. I think this, there's more value moving Biggio down today rather than the guy on Saturday. What was Christian Javier, who's yeah. coming up there run, throwing throwing high heat or throwing gas? And if Biggio runs into one, it goes over uh, uh, right where with there's too much work for Biggio to, to be able to touch somebody like Greinke. So I think they should maybe move him down the order. But for all of the raziness and all of the Montoyo, he is really by the book a lot of the time. And it's I don't know if disappointing is the word. Maybe I'm just surprised that he's not playing, doing more 4D chess as opposed to just doing it strictly by the book. 
Where, where's the raised brain? You know, he spent decades in that organization, but he's, uh, he's pretty meat and potatoes, pretty conventional, mm-hmm. in the, at least from a lineup construction point of view. I mean, there's value in having a lefty in the middle of the lineup, especially with, with Telez, I, I guess. But again, not all lefty-righty matchups are created equal. Yeah, no, exactly. And and again, I think he has something of a like like surprisingly antiquated commitment to the idea, oh, you need balance in the lineup. You know, like that takes precedent over just intuitively constructing the lineup based on the abilities of the individual hitters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I, I'm, I'm always surprised. I think that there, need, there should be more. If I was, it's not me, but like what kind of pitcher is a good matchup? What kind of result can we expect from a given hitter in a, in a given pitcher? And typically, I maybe if, if, if I had the power to do the things, uh, obviously, there's a lot more pers- interpersonal dynamics that are involved with that. And the idea of if you move player X into this spot, maybe they're not as comfortable. That was the, a lot of the talk in the spring when it came to Simeon Springer, the leadoff spot. But good players are good players, and they are going to be who they are almost all the time, I think, is the one thing that we've seen. As long as they're put in a position to succeed, I'll come back to that, free Anthony K. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they build that out. Yeah. And I will say to your point, I think that Kevin Biggio is a great example of maybe not being put in the best situation to succeed because I think what they did to him in terms of taking him, uh, you know, and putting him at third base because they signed Marcus Semyon, you know, they, they displaced him from the one position on the infield where I think he can be average to plus and forced him into a completely unfamiliar position that he probably doesn't have the physical attributes to play at a high level, if, if even competently. And I think that that's, really difficult and now he's like bouncing all over the place third right field you know sort of wherever they need a guy and you know i am sympathetic to that and it does make me i I guess a little bit more understanding of some of the struggles that he's going through defensively and and also on the offensive side of things i think that's that's the team building calculus though right because if you're the blue guys you're like we can leave cabin biggio at second base and we know he's going to be hit the best version of himself there Right, and maybe they don't want to tell him how to hit or be more aggressive or less aggressive. I, I, you can we can hope and assume that those are those are decisions that Kevin Biggio came to on his own. But if you're the Blue Jays and you're thinking, is the best version of Kevin Biggio at second base better for our team than than the high floor version of Marcus Simeon? And they 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 answered that, just like they've done it in the out in the outfield. Is is the best version of our team with the right field version of Kevin Biggio? Um, again, they've they've sort of They've made that point with the, with the moves and the transactions that they've made. Um, it's interesting, uh, and I, I think it's telling as well because uh, I mentioned that that um, that relay play that they when the Blue Jays threw Martin uh, Martin Maldonado out of the plate today. Great play by by uh, Guriel in the outfield. Get rid of it quickly. Nice uh, accurate throw from Biggio. I f- I find when Biggio, you know, in, in that case, and when you see him in right field, his arm looks pretty good. He's, he's got a strong arm. I just don't think that it. I think he's too rushed at third base. It doesn't seem like he, he either takes needs a bit more time, needs okay. to kind of gear up for it because at third base, the arm does not look as strong as it does when he's making those longer throws from right field or that throw from the shallow uh, shallow left today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, completely agree. With that, no, every good podcast has to be based on a basis of I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna let I'm gonna let you go. This has been great, Jonah. Uh, where can the people find you on social media, on Twitter, where they can get your fire takes as you quote me up, yourself? Uh, yeah, if, if you like, uh, you know, Simpsons memes, and uh, no, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, hit me up at uh, Birenball, B-I-R-E-N-B-A-L-L. 
at Beer and Ball on Twitter. He's my friend, and I'm always excited to talk to him. Jonah Beer and Bomb, thank you so much. Uh, this was great. Oh, feeling is mutual, pal. Thanks for having me.